right. Is everyone there? Yeah. Hello. Abram, yes, I'm here. All right. Cool. Tony, we're going to jump in in the interest of time. So, Wait. Um, so Abram, are we not doing any read through? We're just going right off the thing? We're just going to go right off. All right. <laughs> Without a net. All right. Give me one quick second here. <sighs> Hi, Tony. How you doing? Well. I'm good. No, no, save that question okay. for the, the save call. Save that question. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm good on the call because I'm not really good. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Welcome to The Radical Bureaucrat, a podcast for people who want to change institutions from the inside. It is the afternoon of Tuesday, March 17th, and New York City is essentially on day two of lockdown, day two depending on when you start counting. Um, I want to start off with something that's a little bit embarrassing. Yesterday, Abram, I suggested that we brag on each other, and um, after we recorded it, my wife pointed out that this protocol we use for bragging on each other Uh-oh. that I got from the uh, Sunstorm podcast. Yeah, it, it's actually intended to give space for women to step into their power, to put aside humility and own their accomplishments that uh, is so often done by men, where men are given space to, you know, celebrate themselves. Um, so I feel like I kind of inadvertently appropriated the, that protocol for us, two cisgendered men, which is a bit embarrassing. But um, I think it's okay. I just wanted to acknowledge where that protocol comes from. Wow. I had no idea. I'm, I guess I'm guilty by association. I'm somehow an accomplice in the... Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks, Sam. Um, I, you know, in all seriousness, I've realized a ton over the last um, several months, um, in particular, like just how often I'm the talking man uh, that mm. feels completely comfortable throwing my talking manness into the mix. Uh, meanwhile, mm. other people are struggling, uh, you know, w- w- with, you know, how, whether or not what they say will be received and whether or not they have enough evidence yet or, or they should just play it safe. And, you know, I don't really, I don't really think about a lot of that. And a lot of that is because how I was enculturated. So I, m- apologies yeah. uh, for myself as a, a tall talker man. And uh, on, you know, on behalf of the greater talker man uh, nation, m- many of whom probably <laughs> won't apologize, but we'll work on them. Sam and I will work on them. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what happens when we go live and unedited. That's right. Um, <laughs> and it's also, I mean, at the same time, I still think it's a great protocol. I think that um, we recognize where it comes from. And it's also always good to celebrate your friends mm-hmm. and and so that's what we were doing. But listen, today we are on with our very good friend and friend of the podcast, Tony Smith Thompson. I have no problem bragging on Tony. Uh, Tony is, like me, a public school parent, a founding member of the steering committee of the Alliance for School Integration and Desegregation, like Abram and myself. She's an organizer with the NYCLU. She's a writer and she's a lifelong activist. Uh, Tony speaks and writes on issues of equity and justice with a particular focus on public education, free speech, and sickle cell anemia. Um, 
she first made a big public splash in 2003 when she was a college basketball player and engaged in a protest during the national anthem in opposition to the war in Iraq. And that was long before long Kaepernick. Long before. Tony is uh, wise beyond her e- years. She's caring, and she brings an equity lens to any space she is in. So we're really happy to have you Um Welcome, Tony. Yay, Thanks. Tony, Thanks yay. for having me back Woo-hoo. on the pod. I'm so excited Woo-hoo. this podcast is back up and running. Yeah. yeah. Well, technically, you've been on two of the last three episodes now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's Y'all can hear her. Yeah. Thanks on for the finale. my whole bio. I really needed that today. <laughs> good. 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 Yes, that's, what, <laughs> that's why we brag on each other. Yeah. So, um, so we just want to start by asking you, how are you? What, what's going on? Uh, I'm taking it day by day. Each day is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some days have been close to panic, and other days there are moments of light. And mm-hmm. I think for me, because particularly because of the line of work I'm in, I guess, um, some of the intense worrying uh, is about the public health crisis. But then there's also, on the other side, this real concern about our democracy, civil liberties, mm-hmm. rights in this time, and really not knowing at any one moment which ones to be more concerned about. You know, mm-hmm. at the moment, courthouses are closing or closed. Legislative sessions are ending. You know, budgets are being passed without public process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Court, like, people are remaining in incarcerated settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, hard, it's hard enough to balance those two every day with our actions. But now mm-hmm. needing to hold both in our emotions as well, um, and also you know caring for our own families, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, and and I think one of the things that one of the tensions of this podcast tensions really for any activist and all of our work is is balancing a conversation between the systemic and the structural. Um, and what's swirling all around us and wanting to change those things and the, the personal dynamic. And so we wanted to ask you, as, and you can answer this as um, a parent, as an individual, as, a, as an activist, as a, an organizer, but however you want to come to the question, we wanted to ask you, what is one important challenge that you as an individual are facing today that you're thinking about you know, this afternoon? One one particular challenge that I'm facing among many is uh, I'm an organizer by profession, but I'm also an organizer in my in my spare time, as we all are. And uh, one challenge is how do we or I maintain or harness the organizing work that has been built over the last however many years you want to start counting from. Um, mm-hmm. For for many people and many movements, organizing has happen for generations and in more discrete movements um and i'll speak for myself a lot of the organizing work that i've been doing has particularly come about post-trump election and Mm -hmm. so i think for a lot of people there has been a particular organizing momentum built around these four years these particular four years and we are now in the home stretch of those four years Mm -hmm. and we are at great risk of having a lot of that momentum being undone very quickly 
um, and in what, order to and what is to this, it, this crisis. What is it that will mm-hmm. undo, like, what, well, I guess two questions. One, what are some of the specific, like, pro- progress that we're, uh, you know, could, could have made, but then we're not going to do it now because we're going through this kind of emergency abrupt process and closing all the doors? Well, in New York City, for example, we, and the collective we, have made a lot of progress bringing to the forefront the conversation of race and inequity, um, the state of segregation in our schools, the lack of funding, um, the kind of the ways that our curriculum, the curricula doesn't center um, students of color, right? So we have made all of these great gains, and in the, in the moment, it seems very difficult to keep those issues front and center. It's almost mm-hmm. like, can... Is there is there room in the public discourse for both public health crisis and racism, which mm-hmm. there has to be because mm-hmm. they are interconnected, mm-hmm. right? And this is absolutely connected. Um, but for specific campaigns, like part of my work is to pass state legislation to reduce the use of suspensions as a form of discipline in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what happens to that bill? What happens to, to the efforts of people working to reform bail at the moment. You know, there are like all of these movements that were really close to being done and being done well um, that are up in the air now. Yeah. I mean, I hear that big time um, on. Yeah. And it's so many different fronts, you know, the more time you spend understanding how the current systems and structures work, the more you realize it really is everywhere, you know, it, it is it is endemic to use a different demic word than, than the one we've been using lately, uh, that it really is baked mm-hmm. into the core essence of, of a lot of things. And so, you know, so many different issues. And then, you know, suddenly it's kind of like kind of like that moment in Wayne's world where where the car stops the hockey game. Car, car, everything is going to stop. But but these issues are still issues, particularly when you talk about like people are still in prison cells right now. Right. And where where Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's clear evidence of what the healthcare setup is like there, you know, and how that looks and works. Yeah. Um, So, like, can we also talk about that? Let not lose sight of that. And then at the same time, I feel some tension of like, but also, God, you got to focus on something. And so some things are going to fall by the way. I don't I don't know. It's it's tough. Yeah, and um, I think another thing that's being highlighted a lot right now is how much our structures and systems are arbitrary, right? Like a lot of yeah. these punitive systems are are not rooted in kind of sound public health or sound right. democracy. And so in the education context, for example, right, attendance for this year is not going to count for anything stakes-based. Um, state tests are being waived until whenever. And so you begin to see that a lot of these reforms that advocates have been pushing for because they are good policies to promote equity are now being waived because they're not that important right now, right? And they were never that important um, in the ways that they were being used. And so it's, it, it, it's infuriating to one degree to know that at any moment these decisions could be made, right? Like you now you see cities are finding housing for people who don't have housing so that they can have places mm-hmm. to be to, to, to practice yeah. social distancing, right? Well, if you could find housing now, you could have found housing a month ago, a year ago. Right, right. And so these, these things that people progressives have been pushing for are all of a sudden becoming possible. Um, yeah. And 
and is there a way in which that gives you some optimism? Like I, I saw this morning, um, De Blasio. I don't know when he said it. The, the Mayor De Blasio said today or yesterday that uh, we could be facing something akin to the Great Depression. Yeah. And we know that out of the Great Depression came tremendous suffering, but also, um, you know, our entire social safety net, basically. And granted, some of those programs were implemented in a very racist and unequal way. Uh, and yet, from a progressive standpoint, and when we think about them, there were also so much good government came out of that period. Um, so does that yeah. give you any sense of uh, hope for the future? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, a couple of days ago, you know, I was sort of in a really low, low emotional space a couple of days ago. You know, kind of the first day that I kept my kids home from school was on Friday before the schools officially closed. And I was just already beginning to mourn everything that we were going to lose. Um, mm-hmm. And then kind of inside of that, as I began to see some of the other changes like attendance and state tests and how the state was responding to that, I began to think about it in the other way, which was actually out of this, what are the reforms that we're getting now in the midst of a public health crisis that we could hold on to? What are the organizing strategies that we can begin to develop now that can hold on to these reforms for after this moment has passed? And what other reforms could we push for now that we can hold on to there, right? Like right now there are, you know, there are, um, what is there like stops on evictions and, kind of like immediate unemployment benefits, right? Like there are some Yeah, I mean, we're talking, we're talking about what in essence is universal basic income in a lot of places, yeah. which is yeah. supposedly, mm-hmm. yeah. supposedly impossible. So it's, so it's all, yeah. so it's almost as if the, the, the virus has caused us to input the cheat codes on the made up money system that we have. And then when it's all over, we're all supposed to go back and pretend like we didn't live with universal basic yeah. income and with right. like, like w- we're not going to. No, I, well, I really think I, that this is there's going to be before and after, right? And we just don't know what the after will look like. We don't know what the after. Is. Yeah, I mean, we, I guess I'm bracing for. It. I guess yeah. I'm bracing for the pushback on all of that, right? Because the bottom yeah. line is that in order to pay for all of that stuff, the economy's got to, you know, yeah. be reconfigured, right? And that reconfiguring yeah. is something that. Um, People are going to have a lot of thoughts and opinions and power and yeah. money to, to influence. Yeah. So we're, I, 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 I want to bring it back, Tony, just to, you know, I, I get it that things are moving so fast and our headspace is in um, a different place every day and our work looks different every day right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing with the NYCLU. Um, like what is, what did, without however specific you want to be, but how, what did today look like? Um, like, what are you trying to do in your organizing work? Today, so this week I'm doing a lot of fact finding. Um, so for, for my organization, I'm really trying to help the organization get a handle on what's happening in New York city, but also in school districts across the state. How are teachers mm-hmm. preparing for remote learning? How is that looking different in the public school, charter school and private school sectors? Um, what are resources that are made, being made available that will be free and available to anybody who wants it? Um, kind of like 
asking educators what are the other places where we can look ahead and begin to think about advocacy going forward for after this, such as what is this going to mean for graduation requirements for kids who are going to need to graduate and aren't going to be meeting benchmarks in the same way because we're mm-hmm. not in school? Um, what are the ways we ensure that students in schools are not penalized for what is happening now? Um, so beginning to kind of piece together what what are, what are the gaps and what are the holes that we're going to need to fill looking ahead a little bit more. I'm also doing some thinking about how the kind of parent school desegregation movement spaces can show up in these times. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way to sort of harness those spaces to kind of virtually desegregate? Is there a way we can connect across schools? Is there a way we can kind of share resources in virtual ways, in the ways that mm-hmm. we can? Or are, there, are there ways that parents can show up to ensure that, you know, other many people are doing this already, but like harnessing the school desegregation movement to show up for groceries and other, and money and other ways to support. Um, so a lot of it is like triage, kind of rethinking what the work is going to look like for the coming months. It yeah. Maybe longer. There was, um, there's actually something else that I thought of that's really related to this podcast mm. that I wanted to share also. And that is, in this moment, um, the ways in which bureaucracies function has been totally flipped over. Mm. And so I've been talking to friends in nonprofits, but also in the private sector about how different institutions are um, being reconfigured or recreated in this moment. And so at my organization, we're all, of course, working remotely and we've set up, we're on conference calls all day, video calls. Um, but a lot of the traditional bureaucratic systems are not functioning the way that they've always functioned because they can't. Right. right. Checks and balances are not happening the same way. Decision making is not happening in the same way. Right. So a lot of that is still being figured out. But in the meantime, what's happening is that there's a lot more autonomy mm. for individual staff members to create and do their work. And there has to be a lot more trust. Like there just has to be Mm. trust that your staff wants to do the work, that they Mm. want to show up in this moment, and that they want to connect. Um, And so a lot of the things that kind of hold big bureaucracies back from doing their most and best work are not, don't exist right now. Mm. Um, And I think, so that's what I'm seeing in my organization, but I've also talked to friends who are in the private sector for whom maybe that's different, right? For whom there's, they're just retreating. Don't do anything. Nobody do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been interesting. I was thinking today, it's really interesting to see how different big institutions either kind of rise up or retreat back in yeah. time and how that impacts the work. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. And I think that it's almost like you come to a crossroads as a as a leader in an institution at a time like this are you going to err on the side of trusting your staff and giving them and and bringing them into the fold um and saying look it's all hands on deck and and this is a challenge we're dealing with and i need you to figure out where you fit in or are you going to pull back and say your work is not relevant right now and so yeah and i can't uh, focus on managing it you know go into a holding pattern was that abram yeah, and I can't yeah. summon the time or energy to manage it. You've just got to figure it out. Right. right. Yeah, I, I think or, I think this is a big... Or, or I can't summon the time or energy to manage it, so you just got to wait. Yeah, until I do. exactly. Like, until I have, until I have right. that time, yeah. yeah. And don't do that, but wait. 
Yeah, I think this yeah. is a real moment for managers and leaders everywhere, whether it's a small group of people or a large organization. I think what you do in this time and place, and I, this is a note that I heard the governor echo for the first time today, uh, and maybe he's done it before, I don't know, but I've been saying this for, for several months, that like the stuff that we're doing right now, this is history. And like our grandkids mm -hmm. are going to tell stories about what we decided to do right now. And that is true right now with this epidemic or whatever, more than it has been. It's like so intensely true right now. Um, and in the middle of that, you know, I think a lot of what drives that, what you're talking about, Tony, is, is really management fear, where, you know, in the business, the private sector in particular, you don't want to risk capital. Like if something bad is going on, just shut down. That's safer because then you'll have capital when the smoke clears. Um, and then in the because of that impulse, you know, that's what's happening in the stock in the stock market. You know, liquidate, withdraw, yeah. you know. Um, and and in the public sector, we have this immense responsibility to like, you know, protect and serve and 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 right in some cases save people from the situations that they're in. Right. And, and that, you know, in some jobs like, say, a police officer. I was just texting my um, a, a friend of mine who I used to mentor when he was a student um, who, who is uh, in his second year, I believe, on the force. And, you know, the communications that he's getting about what, it, what it's going to look like for the next 45 plus days, right? Um, like, that is, a, that is a kind of serving the public. But, but then at the same time, like, attending to these issues um, of the schools, of what are what are healthcare workers' children going to do during the day, over the next forty five years? Those issues are also critically important. And so then there's this feeling of it's a fear, it's a management fear, it's a feeling of well, I have to get it right, I can't get it wrong, so I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to make the decision mm -hmm. on my own. Um, and I get mm -hmm. it, I've been there, I've done that. Um, but what Sam is describing, this world of of like co of like bringing people into the fold, letting people know what's going on, letting people know the decision is hard and you haven't made it yet, but you're, you're willing to listen, you know? Um, that's tough. That's tough when things are time sensitive. It, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. And what we do, I think, is going to echo. Uh, this is it. We're making history. Yeah. And everything is time sensitive right now. Yep. Yeah. Ten times more Legitimately than time before. sensitive, yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. And... and you know, Abram um, works for the Office of Equity and Access, which turns out I'm working with closely. And, and we talk about um, in, in their workshops, what are the, the um, situations, what kind of an environment causes people to revert to their implicit biases mm -hmm. and not have any awareness of uh, that they're acting upon their biases. Yeah, it's and ambiguous, happening ambiguous right now, especially for leaders, and... right, who... Yeah. have high stress, have, mm -hmm. you know, very little time. Um, like that's when it's so important to slow down. And yet, how do you do that yes. when there's so much pressure and so much flying at you? It's, yes. it's, it's a, it's a real, it's a real challenging time. And you know what? I, um, I have to say, I, you know, typically, typically I'm pretty critical um, of quote unquote leadership. I think in mm -hmm. these times, I'm seeing people rise to the occasion on, on a lot of different mm -hmm. levels and a lot of different stories. And so, you know, mm -hmm. that feels like a lot of pressure. But, you know, we're you know, we just have to face it. 
you know, um, it's going to be okay. And if we make mistakes, it's fine. It's going to be fine. We're going to get through it. Um, but let's not do the bunker thing where we lock ourselves in our offices, you know, and like, don't tell anyone what the, what the word is, you know? Yeah. 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 So Tony, um, we just want to ask before, before we, uh, let you go, what's one thing that's bringing you a sense of calm in the midst of all this one? And I know it's hard, (laughs) but, but what's one thing to help? Actually the work. I I was at my lowest over the weekend before Monday where I really got to reconnect with all of my colleagues in this new reality and redefine what my work was going to look like. And mm-hmm. once I had a clear idea that I had a purpose, that I have a way that I can contribute, I was immediately calmer. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. and so one of the first things that I'm prioritizing in the midst of the organizing work, another thing that I'm doing this week is I'm working on writing a piece, right, about mm-hmm. this moment, um, which I hope will run somewhere related to work, which I think it will. Um, but really kind of rethinking, I think for many people, this moment highlights the type of collective action or collective responsibility that is essential that we talk about in our education organizing spaces, right? Like getting mm-hmm. people to understand how their individual choices affect the collective. And now for many people who are not often directly impacted by matters of race and class are really affected by this. And, um, and I think it's, that's one piece of it. And the other piece of it is kind of the, I, I think the, the, the narrative in the public discourse over the last few decades, which has been really, really hard on the education sector, really hard on teachers, really hard on parents and students in terms of mm-hmm. accountability measures. Um, there have been attacks on like teachers' labor rights and kind of you know high stakes measures that are really punitive on teachers, parents, and students. And I think what this moment is highlighting is that schools have have been created as places not just for education, but as essential community spaces for food and healthcare and childcare, right, and community. And those, those are equally important, but schools are not appreciated for that, the way they are held accountable to academic standards. And in this moment, one of the, the kind of the biggest concerns that came to the forefront when deciding whether to close schools was about childcare services and food and healthcare, right? Even though the education is critical, we have to acknowledge that education, that schools play a much larger part. And suddenly, in kind of like the public discourse, you see a lot more appreciation for what teachers do. You see mm-hmm. a lot more appreciation for, um, I hope, right, we're seeing much more appreciation for what it means to show up every day when you're living with trauma and when you're living mm-hmm. without health care, when you're living with food insecurity and housing insecurity. And I know there are many parents at home these days that are suddenly not being as productive with their kids as they, you know, as they normally are when they're the ones that have to 100% manage trauma and life and your kids' academics. It's mm-hmm. hard. And we're not always, as a collective, empathetic to that. Yeah. Well, Word. purpose is everything. It's kind of the big theme of this podcast. Like, we need to have that purpose. And it clearly comes across in your words. So, um, yeah, we just, we thank you for your time, Tony. We you. wish you thank and your you family both. the best. And, uh, Great to talk to you. Love you. Yeah, yeah, you too. Love you too. Love you so much, Tony. Stay safe. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. It's good to talk All to right. you. Bye, Tony. Bye. Bye.
All right, so Abram, there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay. All right, so let's let's do it. Let's end like good radicals. What's one thing you learned today that you can use to create a more just and equitable world? Um, the one thing I heard and I took note of to, to mention at this part of the podcast um, was that uh, that Tony really had to take some time to to be at that low point. Um, and I, you know, that's not like a one-time thing necessarily, but I think Uh-oh. sometimes... I'm losing you, Abram. I hope it's not the recording. You uh, still there? Yeah, no, I'm still here. Um, the recording's right, probably can fine. Can you say it again? Yeah, I think the, right. the, the thing that I uh, heard Tony say is that she had to spend some time uh, in that low point. Um, and, you know... I, I think we, mm. we're we going to have to think about how we make time and space for that grieving um, and then return back to that purpose that, that you sort of highlighted as the theme of, of, of what Tony had mm. to share. Um, but, but like, I think I want to make sure that I put a pin in like, okay, people need to make space to kind of like feel and worry mm. and whatever else, but, and, and grieve. Um, but also, you know, return to purpose because that's where, um, you know, the, that's where hope is going to come from. I think is from returning to that sense of purpose and having something to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm really, yeah, I'm glad you, you, you phrased it that way. Um, cause I was latching on to the purpose, but I, I think you're right that she took a step before she went to the purpose. Um, and how that kind of filled a void for her. And I just think that for us, I'm, I'm so fortunate that I feel so fortunate to have this podcasting space with you because, uh, <laughs> right now my nine to five looks different. Like I, I don't work on the instructional side. And so all of the energy in the department of education is being put right now into setting up remote learning. And that's not my area um i'd like to help i I really would but it's not where you know it's not my expertise it's not what i'm being asked to do right now and so i feel like i have less purpose than i did a few weeks ago in my regular work i also have lost things in my life like i'm we're scrambling trying to figure out okay so what is it going to mean to to work towards integration like Tony was talking about and she's thinking about it um, but there's you know what we were doing before is not relevant we're not organizing meetings right now right. Um, and I don't have Little League Baseball right and so my purpose that I am finding meaning and fulfillment from is really about my family um, and I'm glad that this podcast is helping me to think outwardly and think about the collective and hopefully you know touch people or, or make a difference through, through the guests that we bring on the conversations that we have. And to me, the, the kind of struggle of my whole career and I, and has been finding that purpose. And, and when I find it and when I have, when I'm able to take an opportunity to actually work towards it, uh, it means everything. And, and when I don't have it is when I hit my lowest point. And so I can really relate to what Tony was saying there. Yeah. 
Let me throw in a comment here, and then we'll end uh, like good bureaucrats. Sam will read the disclaimer. Sure. Um, okay. But um, I wanted to toss in that uh, please reach out if you're listening to this and you, you know, have something you'd like to share about this intersection of the public sector and, and how we uh, thrive and survive together, love each other, um, uh, how we be good to each other. Um, let us know. Uh, come to Twitter. Uh, it's at R-A-D-B-U-R-E-A-U, Rad Bureau. Um, you can look it up on uh, the Google, uh, the Radical Bureaucrat. Um, and, uh, yeah, reach out. Um, you know, if you have show ideas or questions, comments, reach out. Yeah, and we have a website. Um, we'll yeah, the Radical Bureaucrat. There there's, there's a blog. You can contact us through the website. Um, radicalbureaucrat.com. So, um, so yeah, so we're going to end by being good bureaucrats. The views expressed here are personal opinions and do not reflect the official or unofficial position of any government agency, policy, party, leader, or really anyone besides the two of us, and maybe you, but maybe not. This content has not been sponsored or approved by anyone and was mostly just made because we wanted an opportunity to talk about things that matter to everyone, whether they realize it or not. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone.